Uh, it's my privilege now to invite up um, Mike Reinsel. He is, um, if you were here in Sunday school, you got to know a little bit about him. Mike is the new Ben Mathis. Um, <laughs> it's, no. pretty, it's pretty much all I need to say. Um, he is the director, uh, the executive director of Rivers of the World, and we're uh, pleased to have him uh, preach with us this morning. So, Great. Thanks, Dan. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you here this morning. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. I am not the new Ben Mathis. In fact, Ben Mathis still uh, is around. He wanted to send his greetings, and he wanted me to make it clear that when I transitioned into the role of executive director, he moved into the self-proclaimed title of the old man of Rome. So before you go feeling sorry for Ben and think that the younger guy's pushing the old guy aside and that he's moving on, that's not the case. Ben is more involved today than he's ever been with Roe, and we are collaborating together to drive this amazing ministry and mission forward. In fact, he told me that it's tradition that he's always here on the first Sunday of December and that Christmas doesn't start till Ben gets here. So Ben will be back in December and Christmas will come around this year. So let me pray for us and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for this church, for their amazing hearts for you and for your people, and for the uh, extraordinary ways that they have lived that out in the years in partnership with Roe. And I just pray that you will continue to anoint them, that you would bless us this morning as we dig into your word. We believe that your word is not just uh, a, a book filled with words, but it's your word for us, recorded by men, and inspiration for us to draw us to your heart. And we pray that that would happen this morning. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. I know we have a lot of visitors here this morning, so just real quickly, Roe is an international mission organization, and our mission is to target some of the most remote parts of the world. We head down rivers in those remote areas. We meet people and build friendships and relationships with those people. And as we do that, we just kind of naturally find out what some of their issues, problems, challenges, and concerns are, and we make a promise to come back and partner with them to address those issues and needs. And so today our work takes us to about eight different countries, places that most of the world just doesn't go to because it's too far, it's too uncomfortable, maybe it's too inconvenient or too expensive to get to. Whatever the reason, folks don't go to those places. That's where Roe goes. And so what I hope to do this morning is talk a little bit about Roe, let you know what's happening with Roe. I've, I've changed up our scripture verse, verses and I'm going to preach a different sermon this morning. And uh, we'll be in Luke 15, so if you have your Bible, those four that just got brand new Bibles, you can break those in, <laughs> open them up to Luke 15, we'll be in there. And what I hope to do is look about what Luke 15 and the three stories, the three parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son tell us about our Father's love, and then how do we apply that love into the local and the global mission fields of our own lives. So anytime that I'm teaching or preaching or studying on a particular passage of Scripture, I always like to look at what comes immediately before and what follows immediately after because for me at least it gives me some sense of what I'm studying and so as I was preparing to talk about Luke 15 I went back to Luke 14 and there's one verse in verse 28 that stuck out to me. Luke tells us large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Now, he doesn't say that Jesus is trying to get large crowds gathered around him or that he was, uh, you know, trying to amass these huge crowds around him. What he says is that large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And what that tells me is what you probably already know because you're smart people, is that Jesus was a pretty engaging personality. He was a great preacher, a great teacher, 
miraculous signs and wonders had already been attributed to his personality and to his name. And so this large crowd, I kind of imagined myself in this large crowd traveling with Jesus. And my thought was, who makes up this large crowd? Well, you only have to go to the first two verses in chapter 15, and Luke tells us. He says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. So in this group that's gathered around, there are at least four groups. The first are sinners. Those are just regular folks like you and me that are kind of missing the mark, right? The second group that he tells us are the tax collectors. And if you know anything about tax collectors in the day of Jesus, they were a pretty despised group because they were responsible for taking the money out of the pockets of the people, collecting it, and giving it to the Roman government. And the way that they made money was extorting more money than the Roman government expected from the people out of the people, and they put that in their pocket. So they were a pretty despised group. They, they were like really bad sinners. The third group that Luke tells us is in this crowd gathered around Jesus are the Pharisees. And in Jesus' day, there are three main religious groups. There are Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes. And Jesus refers most often to the Pharisees. And when he does, it's not in a very good light. In fact, he oftentimes calls them what? Hypocrites. Yeah, hypocrites. And the fourth group is teachers of the law. These would have been highly trained, highly educated Jewish men who were responsible for teaching and applying the Jewish law to the Jewish people of that day. So what do we have gathered around Jesus? We've got sinners, we've got really bad sinners, we've got hypocrites, and we've got church folks. Hmm. <laughs> kind of looks like us, doesn't it, church? Well, I'm going to propose that not only is Jesus talking to that crowd 2,000 years ago gathered around him, but he's talking to us today, and here's what he says in the first of three parables, beginning of verse 4. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. When I first read that story, I thought, who in this crowd that's gathered around Jesus is he trying to appeal to in this story? And I think it's the business people in the crowd. How many, how many business people here this morning or retired business people? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. It's not, it's not embarrassing to be a business person. I was one of those before God called me into full-time vocational ministry. I was in the business world. And as a business person, frankly, this story doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it's counterintuitive to me that a business person, a shepherd in this case, would leave 99% of his business that's safe and secure and dependable and reliable to go chase after 1% that he's lost. Unless, of course, it's your business. And if it's your business, you take it personally. Those that raised their hand and said they were business people, if you, have you ever worked on a business deal or worked with a salesperson on a business deal and you invest time and energy and resources in that deal, and at the 11th hour, they go and bring it to another company. Well, you take that personally. Why? Because you've invested time and energy and resources into that, and you've got a personal relationship, and that's the story of this shepherd is he's got a personal relationship with these sheep. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him, and when one wanders off, he takes that personally, and he pursues. And so that's the first characteristic of God's love that I want us to remember this morning is that God's love pursues when something that he values goes away God's love pursues and he seeks and he persists and he goes after it until he finds it 
Rivers of the World has a business in Tuala Bay, Honduras. It's in central Honduras. We have a health clinic that we built there. It's a valley city. There's a bunch of people in this valley, and we've built a 5,000 square foot health clinic, and we've got a couple of doctors and a nurse and a dentist and medical equipment and supplies and all this great stuff that we brought there, and every patient that comes there gets to hear about Jesus, and it's an amazing atmosphere, and people come, but guess what? Around this valley city are 58 mountain villages. And people in those villages can't get down to the valley to our health clinic. And we could sit there and say, we got great stuff if y'all want to come. But the reality is, God's love pursues. And so we go up into those villages, up roads that most people wouldn't travel on, and in vehicles that people probably shouldn't get into. And we go up these bumpy mountain roads into these villages, and we reach out into those people's lives, and we do medical mission, and we do VBS, and we love on people. Why? Because God's love pursues. The second parable, the second story, begins in verse 8. And Jesus says, Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Listen, rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. Have you ever lost something that was valuable to you that the rest of the world didn't seem to value quite as much? It happened to me yesterday, any time that I'm preaching, I always kind of get my stuff ready the night before I live in Atlanta, so I was traveling over yesterday evening, and I was getting my stuff together, I got my cell phone and my wallet, my car keys, went to grab my Bible, and it wasn't there. Well, I'm, I'm frantic because my Bible has notes, and I preach and teach from my Bible, I mean, it was important for me to have my Bible this morning, so I'm kind of like the woman in this story, turning my house upside down, trying to find my Bible, and I got to share with you this morning that the rest of my family did not embrace the same value in finding my Bible that I had. And so while I'm racing around the house, my wife is in the kitchen cooking, my son is watching ESPN Sports Center, and my 16-year-old daughter is up in her room doing whatever 16-year-olds do for two hours in the room in the afternoon. And I'm racing around. Well, that was because they didn't have the same value in finding what I had lost as I had. I have some good news and some challenging news. The good news is I did find my Bible. The challenging news is about six months ago, we acquired a Siberian Husky puppy. And I found my Bible in the living room with my Husky, um, and he was chewing up my Bible. And my wife, who's kind of the comedian in the family, said, well, honey, you're always trying to get us in the Word more, so at least he was in the Word. Um, and the Word is in him because he ate part of your Bible. Uh, lest we digress, the, the woman in this story has lost one of her ten coins. The Bible historians would tell us um, that the Bible is talking about probably a drachma, a virtually valueless coin in the day. Yet every one of these coins is valuable to the woman, and so she literally turns her house upside down when she loses one, what the rest of the world would say is an insignificant coin in her life. God values every single life. God values every single thing. And that's the second point that, uh, of God's love that I want us to remember this morning is that God's love values and treasures every single life. 
And that's why Roe goes to places like the Democratic Republic of Congo. And we go into the middle of Africa, in the middle of a jungle, in the middle of civil war, and we do medical mission camps, and we build orphanages, and we have a sewing school, and we do evangelism efforts, and the list goes on and on. And there's probably people sitting here this morning that would say, you know, those people are 7,000 miles away. We're never going to meet those people. We're gonna never, never going to know those people. we got people right here in Huntsville that need our time and energy and resources more than they need them. And I would propose that those people don't have it right. Because if you read Acts 1.8, Jesus said that we're to go into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's not an either-or proposition. You don't go here or go there. It's a both-and proposition. And we are called as believers to go right here in our own backyard and share the love of Jesus and to go to the farthest reaches of the earth. Why? Because God values that person in the Congo as much as he values that person that lives right next door to you. I learned in a pretty humbling way the value that God has versus the value that Mike has. It was last summer and I was in the Congo. And in the Congo they don't have worship every Sunday like you and I have worship. They have worship whenever the pastor can get through their particular village. And so this was one of those Sundays out of every five or six that the pastor was coming through and they were having worship and they have uh, an offering one time a year. They don't have an offering every single Sunday. Dan, I don't think uh, Pastor Jenkins would like that very much, so I won't, I won't bring that up again. But they have an offering once a year that supports the church for a year. And right down at the front of the church, it's an outdoor church, uh, there's a hollowed out stump. And one by one, after about three or four hours of worship, and I mean, these people worship. It's not, it's not modest and dignified. I mean, they're off the charts, singing, dancing, shouting, hollering. It's the best worship you will ever be a part of. Well, during the offering time, the people come down one by one, and they're singing and dancing and shouting as they bring their offering before God. I was going to show you what that looked like. I told my wife I might share that this morning. She said, honey... You don't dance that well. I don't think I would do that. You might embarrass yourself. So I'm not going to do that choir. But if you can imagine these people all dancing, celebrating, bringing their offering before God one by one. And the last woman that brought her offering up was a little old lady who looked to be 95 or 100. She was probably 65 or 70. But the jungle is tough on a body. She was weathered. And so she kind of made her way up as best she could. And as she got to the front of the outdoor church to the offering stump, she reached into a bag around her arm and she pulled out an ear of corn and she stuck it in the offering stump. And little judgmental Mike thought, what in the world has this lady lost it? Has she lost her mind in the jungle? Does she not realize this is offering time? What is she doing? Until I talked to one of the pastors after worship and he told me that that was all that woman had to offer that that represented three meals and she was bringing the only offering she had before God and that God treasures every single gift and every single offering. The third story that Jesus shares, the third parable, is the lost son of the prodigal son. I'm not going to read that because most of us have been in church for a long time and we've heard that story. But basically it's a story of a kid that goes to his dad and says, Dad, I know I'm not due my inheritance until you die, but I want it early. And so his father graciously complies, he liquidates half of his assets, he gives them to his son. His son, the Bible tells us, goes into a distant land and squanders it on wild and sinful living. And when the money is gone and all the false friends are gone, he finds himself in the middle of a pig pen shoveling pig slop to the pigs and he realizes that his father's hired hands at home have it better 
than he does. And so he tucks his tail between his legs and he humbly heads down the road hoping that his father will find it in his heart to forgive him. Have you ever lost something really valuable? I mean, I'm not talking cell phone, car, key, wallet, car keys or wallet or, or even a Bible. Something so valuable that when you found it, you literally wanted to get up on the top of the highest mountain and shout from the top of your lungs, I found it! I found it! It was several years ago, my daughter Carly was two at the time, and I was coming home from work, I pulled into the subdivision, and as I pulled in, it seemed like something was different. There were two boys looking for something, I rolled down the window, and I I talked to the two boys, I said, hey, what's going on? They said, I don't know, some lady lost her kid. Well, I didn't think that much of it. We lived in a big neighborhood with a lot of kids, and so kids would go to other parents' houses and not tell their parents, and they would always turn up, so we didn't really lose kids in our neighborhood, but they thought that the kids were lost. Well, I didn't uh, get too alarmed, so I rolled the window back up. I headed down, took a left down my street, and pulled up the driveway, and at the head of the driveway, I could tell from the look of my wife who was standing there that something was not right. I jumped out of the car, I ran up, I said, honey, what's wrong? She said, it's Carly. We can't find Carly. Well, my response was one I wouldn't recommend. I said, have you looked for her? Don't don't do that. She let me know in no uncertain terms that of course she had looked for her. I said, have you looked all around the neighborhood? She said, no, I haven't looked around the neighborhood yet. I said, well, you keep looking in the house. I'll look around the neighborhood. And I'm, I'm kind of the calm one in the family. So I'm calmly walking around the neighborhood. Carly, Carly, I'd bang on a door, Carly, is Carly here? No, no, Carly, would you help me look? Pretty soon after about 20 or 25 minutes, half the neighborhood is out looking for Carly and the quiet calls for Carly began to be a more frantic calls, Carly, Carly, and after we went to every house and looked all around the neighborhood and couldn't find her, we began to get panic in our hearts and in our voices and people are calling out, Carly, Carly, and there was no Carly, and so I ran back home, and my wife was still there in the home, and I said, honey, where was the last place you saw her? She said, she was right here in the house. I don't know where she is. I said, well, we are going to turn this house upside down. She's got to be here, and we went like the woman in this story, and we literally turned the house upside down. We started upstairs, and we started in the bedrooms, and we looked under beds, and we looked in closets, and we looked in bathtubs. We looked everywhere that a two-year-old could possibly be and no Carly. We ran downstairs, we looked through the living room, the dining room, we came to the kitchen and the keeping room, looked through the cabinets and the pantry, we looked everywhere and no Carly. And I was standing in the kitchen and the keeping room area of my house with my wife and I had a flash in my mind for just a second of the creek in the back of the house. And I said, honey, have you looked out back by the creek? She said, no, and I can't look back there. I said, well, I'm going to go look. And so I started to run out the side door by the garage. My wife had been doing laundry there. And I started to run toward the side door. And as I did, I accidentally kicked an upside-down laundry basket. And I noticed as I did that that it didn't move. And so I bent down. I picked up the laundry basket. And there underneath, sound asleep, 55 minutes later, was my two-year-old daughter Carly. Well, we picked her up, we slobbered on her, we kissed her, we embraced her. She didn't even know she was lost. But we rejoiced because something that was lost was found. And friends, I think that's the best part of God's love, is that God's love 
rejoices. And frankly, I don't think he cares how we got lost, whether it was an accident, whether we wandered off, whether we made a deliberate choice to turn and go in another direction. What God cares about is that which is lost is found. And that's why Roe has a full-time evangelism director in Dr. Keith Burnett. About three weeks ago, we graduated our first class in the Dominican Republic, 26 men and women who were trained in how to pastor people, how to teach better and preach better and hold revivals and plant churches, all the parts and pieces of being a pastor in the remote areas that they've been called to serve. Why? Because God's love pursues. Because God's love treasures every single life, no matter where it is, and that God's love rejoices when that which is lost is found. So I have two questions for you this morning. The first question is, what are you willing to invest? What are you willing to invest as a church and as an individual, as a family, in people that don't have a relationship with Jesus coming into that relationship? There are graduates here. There are new confirmands here. What are you willing to invest? And secondly, would you be willing to go home today after you get to lunch a little bit late because we're going a little bit long, and you go to your home, would you look for the upside-down laundry basket in your life? Bend down, pick it up, look underneath, and see what God might have for you as a surprise under your laundry basket. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is so amazing that you love us enough that you were willing to give your son on our behalf we were bankrupt. We had no way to get into relationship with you. Yet you love us and this world so much that you gave us your son. And I pray that we would have the boldness and the courage and the obedience to share the greatest gift that each of us in this room has with a lost and a dying and a forgotten world. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.